Section thirty eight of Heroines of Fiction by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Humphrey Ward's Heroines. In reading Mrs. Humphrey Ward's last story, Eleanor, I felt again as I had felt before in her work its general difference from the best American fiction in a particular which may perhaps have caught the notice of others if it has not i may be mistaken in my feeling and shall be unable to persuade others to make it their conviction but the point is interesting and if i can make it evident something will have been done toward explaining american novelists to themselves and reconciling them to their performances as the necessary outcome of their conditions possibly something more will have been done and they will be satisfied in recognizing that english breadth must always be denied them and to make the most of the depth which seems to be their characteristic when they are at their best one the deceitfulness of appearances is notorious and even when they are the effect of reality they are seldom of such a unanimity that the inference from them cannot reasonably be questioned you have first to get your appearances and this alone is a thing of no small difficulty many appearances are so purely subjective that when you come to draw the attention of others to them they turn out to be disappearances and in the case in hand there will probably be some people to deny that english fiction is noticeably broad or american fiction noticeably deep they will say that thomas hardy and george eliot have both written things that suggest depth as well as breadth and that mrs ward who is alone among english writers worthy to be mentioned with these novelists is so much of the american spirit in her art that if her work is broad it is a proof that breadth is as characteristic of american fiction as depth the effect is to dissatisfy you with the words themselves as saying too much and if after trying dramatic and epical you return to them you wish to explain that you employ neither invidiously but only with the single desire to trace certain questionable appearances to certain unquestionable facts and so render them less questionable i confess that the effect of the breadth i have felt or seemed to feel in mrs ward's work was such as to make me discontented with the depth that i remembered in the best american work as if this were comparatively a defect since it was necessarily narrower it was only by reflecting that our depth was the inevitable implication of our civic and social conditions that i was consoled and restored to something like a national self-respect to put it paradoxically our life is too large for our art to be broad in despair at the immense scope and variety of the material offered it by american civilization american fiction must specialize and turning distracted from the superabundance of character it must burrow far down in a soul or two men may invent almost anything but themselves and it was not because hawthorne made himself psychological but because he was so that in the american environment he bent his vision inward 
his theory was that our life was too level and too open and too sunnily prosperous for his art but it was an instinct far subtler than this belief that he obeyed in seeking the subliminal drama hawthorne was romantic but our realists who have followed him have been of the same instinct and have dealt mainly with the subliminal drama too in their books so faithful to the effect of our everyday life the practical concerns of it are subordinated to the psychical not consciously but so constantly that their subordination has not been a matter of any question the usual incidents of fiction have not in the best american novelists been the prime concern but the subliminal effect of those incidents love itself which is the meat and drink of fiction is treated less as a passional than as a psychological phenomenon long ago the more artistic of our novelists perceived that the important matter was not what the lovers suffered or enjoyed in getting married or whether they got married at all or not but what sort of man and maid their love found them out to be and how under its influence the mutual chemistry of their natures interacted all the problems in any case are incomparably simplified for the english novelist by the definite english conditions one can no longer call them fixed but they are still definite and in a certain way character proceeds from them the character of a gentleman a businessman an artisan a servant a laborer each of these has his being in a way so different from the others that he is a definitely different creature and when through some chance some perverse mixture of the elements the conditions are traversed and the character bred of one shows itself in another it has a stronger relief from the alien background but ordinarily the englishman feels thinks and acts from his class and when you name his class you measurably state him after that you have rather to do with what he does than what he is the result in fiction is a multiplicity of incident and a multitude of persons and you have breadth rather than depth even in so psychological a story as mrs ward's marcella the definite conditions account for so much that it is after all a study of incident more than a study of motive the conventions of english realism the county society and the life of the great houses and interests and opinions of the gentry and their dependents the hovels and the physical and moral squalor of the poor the parliamentary election and the agitations of the demagogues and the real reformers the intervention of the church in the chapel the poaching and the murder and the hanging all these things are of the familiar acquaintance of the novel reader who knows them from the time of bulwer down through the innumerable novelists who have treated of them since mrs ward treats of them with a fresh mind but they are in themselves so far from fresh that they seem to stale her thought of them and the figure that she projects against them the very novel and very original figure of marcella seems to acquire convention from them and to be as hackneyed as all the rest the result is a fiction of high order of a higher order in certain aspects than any since george eliot's fictions and yet having breadth rather than depth this may be an appearance and not a fact 
marcella is so essentially modern so perfectly of the day before yesterday that the inquiry into the soul of the socialistic aesthete the girl of good birth and good tradition emerging from her shady father's past to find herself engaged to the most conscientious and noble-minded of aristocrats but at war with all his convictions through the impassioned preferences of her earlier associations necessarily involves psychological research which goes far if it does not go deep she is indeed so interesting that one wishes the author might have had her in the sparsely settled region of an american fiction so that we could have sat down with her in the long leisure of our social existence and divined her to the ultimate mystery of her being it may be answered that there is really no more of her than her author shows but it seems as if in a different environment there might have been more possibly we touch here a fundamental variance of the english and american life in former times we americans were accused of being curious over-curious of being insatiable and impertinent questioners of strangers it may be however that we are not so but that the most penetrating difference between us and the english is that they are social and we are personal their denser life we will say satisfies them with superficial contrasts while in our thinner and more homogeneous society the contrasts that satisfy are subliminal this theory would account for their breadth and our depth without mortifying the self-love of either which i should like to spare in our case if not in theirs to float and to dive may be equally creditable our personality is the consequence of our historic sparsity and it survives beyond its time because the nature of our contiguity is still such as to fix a man's mind strongly upon himself and to render him restless till he has ascertained how far all other men are like him we are prodigiously homogeneous though in the absence of classification we seem so chaotic we shall change probably and then the character of our fiction our art of representing life will change too very likely it will become more superficial and less subliminal it will lose in depth as it gains in breadth as yet its attempts to be broad to be society fiction have resulted in a shallowness which is not suggestive of breadth two the english are less apt than we have been to carry a story abroad and to find in an alien setting terms more favourable than those of home for the subliminal interests this may be because they inevitably carry their civilization with them in all possible details down to the emblematic bathtub while we find that we can get on abroad fairly well without steam heat and exposed plumbing and the american order which they stand for we are in fact far more easily detachable from our native background and blend far more readily with the alien atmosphere than the english so that i think if an american family as nearly as possible corresponding to the manistes had been set down in the air of rome they would have lost their native outline more the thing is hard to say and perhaps i shall come as near to suggesting it as may be in noting the impression that the cosmopolitan englishman gives of being more english than if he had never left home 
whereas the cosmopolitan american really ceases to be american if he does not become anything else of course my position can be assailed by saying that there could not be any such american family as the menistes who are distinctively and inalienably english and are of that world which whether it is really great or not makes ours look a small world Manisti has had to do all his life with questions which affect politically socially and spiritually the civilization of many races systems languages and religions as no american public man can have to do with them and eleanor burgoyne through the english traditions which admit women to the discussion of such questions is of a range of thinking and feeling possible to no american woman except someone who has given up society and gone in for a public life through the advocacy of a great interest like temperance or the suffrage for women i allow that all this is true without allowing all its implications and in the meantime i fall back to my original position and invite the reader again to consider whether the fact does not make for that breadth in english fiction which i began by imagining we will suppose that the author for the sake of getting her main group of people face to face with each other and keeping them to their psychological problem wishes to isolate them from the alliances and relations of their past and therefore takes them into an alien environment almost immediately it proves that she has not isolated the english manisti and eleanor but only the american girl lucy foster with the others questions of european policy at once come in and distract their attention from the psychological problem to lucy alone these questions are without vital interest if not without reality priests diplomats peasants artists citizens society figures come and go in her consciousness with the effect of deepening it inward and concentrating it in the great question whether she is doing wrong in letting Manisti love her or letting herself love him when she feels or knows that eleanor loves him if the situation had been invented by an american novelist i think he would have studied it mainly through the consciousness of lucy and the prime interest of the story would have been personal psychological subliminal the effect would have been depth and i do not mean this in any bragging way now the main effect is breadth which certainly i could not mean derogatorily it is indifferent to me for the present inquiry whether the american or the english effect is better and i wish to note without disparagement of mrs ward's work that mr hardy gets depth by dealing with persons who are unconventionally circumstanced or wholly out of society for much the same reason the author of the remarkable mark rutherford books is able to get it but these alone among english novelists get it in anything like the american measure is it true then that the americans get it because their characters are unconventionally circumstanced or are not in society something very like this might be true and american fiction is faithfuller to the average american conditions than if it dealt with people conventionally circumstanced and in society for most of us are certainly not so as most equally educated englishmen certainly are so 
we have the forms the society structures the same with us but having built our house and furnished it we find it a bother and would rather lodge at a hotel and dine at a restaurant still better we like to travel to journey and sojourn in far countries and amidst the outer strangeness to get more intimately at our inner selves if we are novelists we like to take our characters abroad as if the home sparsity were not enough and in the resulting isolation to penetrate the last recesses of their mystery or at least learn that it is not penetrable more than one piece of our subtlety in this sort could be alleged but perhaps it is sufficient to allege two of which what i am saying seems eminently true namely the marble fawn and daisy miller if an english novelist does the same thing the result is not the same the english environment is inalienable the characters are continually frittering themselves away in superficial encounter on the native terms at dinners and luncheons and teas and what not till there is nothing subliminal left in them three one great objection to words is that they are always over saying things and i could easily take up the foregoing postulate and show it untenably excessive nevertheless i think it has some truth in it and i feel concerning eleanor burgoyne that she is not enough alone for the evolution of her innermost self she is always in a clutter of society which is right enough since she is of that english world so cluttered to our elbow-roomy american sense as we view it afar or anear even in her withdrawals from it in pain or in passion the atmosphere of drawing-rooms seems to envelop her it is her native air and one cannot complain though one feels that a final knowledge of what she might otherwise have been to the reader must be postponed to a future life what she could be in this hampered by the perpetual coming and going and meeting and parting is a most generously imagined personality in fact mrs ward is so good at imagining heroines of noble nature that she ought to be the favourite novelist of her sex which loves to have its magnanimity recognised i will not say flattered the wife of david grieve in the novel of his name is one of these great creatures and worthily the heron of what i am not going rashly to call the author's best book though i should not dispute such a verdict from another i think it was contrived that the reader should meet her on a more subliminal level than most other english heroines and this was perhaps so because she was of a social world almost as uncrowded as our own and perhaps also because there is something much more analogous to the american in the scotch nature than in the english i am writing without the book but after the five years which have passed since i read that powerful story she is still present in a sort of tender sublimity as the fit impersonation of the sacred love whose flame purifies david grieve's soul of all but the record of his profaner passion so much may be expected and exacted of the type of heroine which mrs ward imagines that the noble goodness of marcella maxwell when she reappears in the story of sir george tressidy can have force not only to regenerate the feeling of sir george toward herself and transform it to an exalted friendship but also to turn the jealousy of lady tressidy to some such complexion 
can such things be one asks oneself and then is ashamed of one's self for asking for doubting yet lady tressidy in her prettiness and pettiness her vanity and vulgarity has the superior probability and is i am tempted to say it more profoundly divined than marcella in fact marcella loses probability in her second avatar as socialistic wife to a socializing prime minister in the scheme of sir george tressidy the ideal beauty of soul so courageously imagined for her scarcely recompenses the reader for this loss though he must honour the courage her apparition to tressidy crushed and dying in the coal-mine is not of the convincing supernaturalism to which turgenieff and tolstoy have sometimes carried their naturalism and her personal beauty which is so constantly insisted upon seems at each insistence less impressive at the risk of being insufferably paradoxical i should say that marcella was left less appreciable by being left too little a mystery and that in being altogether removed from the vague she is rendered impalpable to those perceptions which realize personalities to put it still more perversely we meet her too often to know her thoroughly we know little light hard letty tressidy far better we have a sense of her she is the more convincing because to the very last we are no more convinced than she is that she is not still jealous of her husband with respect to marcella though she is no longer jealous of marcella with respect to her husband she has forgiven but she has not forgotten and she remains with the reader in the luminous question whether she will like being commended to the care of marcella and lord maxwell by her dying husband in suggesting such a question the author evinces psychological depth and in questions equally incapable of final answer in the case of both the wife and the mistress in david grieve i find proof of a depth in that novel beyond that of any other of mrs ward's books the wife's relation to david's past armour remains full of satisfying mystery and in the feeling of the french girl who forsakes him for her art and escapes in terror from her love of him there is something that seems to penetrate the very sources of her nature for of course i am aware of proving too much but if i am getting at the truth i do not much mind being inconsistent or even finding myself wrong if my thesis is that mrs ward when her fiction deals with the more crowded scenes of english life loses depth and when it deals with a sparser environment gains depth perhaps i shall not find myself so very wrong after all i should still have to ask myself how far she had sought such an environment in laying the scene of her last novel in italy and in giving her english heroine the relief of an alien setting how far such a motive was subconscious with her and how far she had failed to give it effect i have already intimated my sense of her comparative failure and as for the subconscious motive that is something that i know of no critical subtlety competent to render evident the question which remains is in what degree the inevitable spread of the story has superficialized the heroine's character or perhaps the impression of her character what one has to do in any case is to recognize the courageous originality with which eleanor burgoyne is imagined she has been married to a sufficiently unlovable and unloving husband 
whose delirious suicide has involved the death of their little son she struggles up from her crushing sorrow and in making herself useful to her cousin menesty as his secretary and counsellor in his work she finds not respite from her grief so much as the chance of new happiness and the hope of his love but she loves him too well and unwisely to be his unsparing critic and when the unformed american girl lucy foster comes into their family circle and from the fearlessness of her absolute sincerity censures where eleanor has not the heart to censure eleanor has the anguish of seeing the man's fancy veered toward the girl as one of greater authority lucy is beautiful and eleanor in the first days has devoted her taste and knowledge to making her more evidently beautiful the feeling that she has toward her is not jealousy or else it is a jealousy so sublimed by her noble nature that it is rather a recognition of the facts than a resentment of them she weakens indeed so far as to put the case to lucy and ask her to give manisty up to the love which has earned him but not won him and the girl consents but both their wills are crushed in manistes when he makes it plain that his love has nothing to do with justice and that he wants what he wants not because it is best or impersonally right but because he wants it this is the way of true love which we are always exalting as the finest thing in the world though there are obviously many things finer it is at least honest and sincere and that is what eleanor burgoyne owns in her acquiescence with fate when she renders lucy up to her inevitable happiness if it is happiness to marry manisty that the woman should ask the girl to forego her happiness is a daring supposition in which we must acknowledge the author's high aesthetic courage and perhaps the frankness which is almost brutal in eleanor's despair is truer than any fineness would have been the contrast of the two lives in that scene the woman's experience and the girl's innocence is more valuable than the contrast even of their natures but possibly in this also the author's work lends itself to my theory of greater breadth and less depth in the english novel as compared with the american nothing of subconscious of subliminal is left to the reader's conjecture but i do not at all mean that character is rendered superficial by bringing everything in it to the surface i am far too fond of the plain light of day for that but still it may be so contrived that the plain light of day may strike to the nethermost abysses and that what is most intricate and most recondite in the soul may be rendered luminously apparent at its proper depth five the personality and the dramatic office of eleanor are greatly imagined and they remain essentially unaffected by the handling you get the meaning of her tragedy and the innermost meaning which is perhaps less poignant than it might be if it were relieved by comedy mrs ward is serious and no doubt in this she has her strongest hold upon her vast public for the average woman if not the average man likes her prophets or prophetesses always to seem as much in earnest as they are through the absence of humour mrs ward is a little lower if one chooses to think so than that great woman novelist whose level she more nearly reaches than any of her successors you cannot quite name her in the same breath with george eliot but you can name her in the next breath and it is to be questioned if even george eliot had a wider and stronger grasp of the important actualities of english life in eleanor 
whether the book tells for or against my theory of greater depth in american fiction and greater breadth in the english one must acknowledge that increasing mastery of which each of her successive books has given proofs she has risen to her present eminence so wholly since american fiction began to shape itself from the art of continental fiction that one might almost claim an american influence in her work but that might well be claiming too much her manner is still marked by the ejaculatory and suspiratory self-indulgence of the minor english novelists to which george eliot herself was not superior she draws her breath in open pathos and she caresses a situation or a character with a pitying epithet or adjective as george eliot does in the case of some heroine she likes very much notably maggie tulliver or janet dempster and less notably dorothea brooke the foible is characteristic of all but the finest artists in english fiction and in her greater moments mrs ward does not indulge it there is nothing of this weak pity of her own creations in such a scene as that where eleanor reverses her prayer to lucy foster and bearing her wasted neck to show herself a dying woman makes the girl promise to be true to the love between her and manistee the most touching moment of the whole story that when she asks manistee to carry her up the stairs is of an intense pathos and feeble by no suggestion of feeling in the author eleanor with her hand on marie's arm tottered across the courtyard at the convent door her strength failed her she turned to manistee i can't walk up those stairs do you think you could carry me i am very light struck with sudden emotion he threw his arms round her she yielded like a tired child he who had instinctively prepared himself for a certain weight was aghast at the ease with which he lifted her her head in its pretty black hat fell against his breast her eyes closed he wondered if she had fainted he carried her to her own room and laid her on the sofa there as he left the room eleanor settled down happily on her pillow the first and only time she thought my heart on his my arms round his neck there must be impressions that outlast all others i shall manage to put them all away at the end but that such a passage and it is by no means the only passage of its kind in the book is of a fineness so penetrating so far-reaching that a critic more enamoured of his thesis than i might own it a proof against him if he had been arguing that english fiction had breadth but wanted depth he might urge that it was one of the exceptions which proved the rule but i preferred to save myself by a little different means and referring to a suggestion already made somewhat faint-heartedly i would leave it to the candid reader to say whether in such instances mrs ward was not rather like the american than the english novelists End of section thirty eight of heroines of fiction by william dean howells